Hi everyone, welcome to Talkie Me, where we talk about anything and everything. I'm Iman and today I'm with an anonymous guest, so I'm just going to allow them to touch upon the topic today and give us a brief outline of what you listeners can get. How's it going friends? Anonymous uh, guest here, um, bit of background, I am a Shia male currently in Pakistan, um, but I've been all over the world, I've studied in the US, um, uh, I've pretty much tripped and toured every continent. So I have kind of a perspective of the global um, perception of Shias, if that, uh, if there is such a thing. And um, I also have that perspective of being a Shia Muslim in a country where you have a majority of um, Sunni Muslims or just a majority of, um, or a diversity of religions existing together. Um, I guess, uh, Today we're going to be covering a variety of uh, topics it's about being um, a Shia abroad, being um, a Shia inside this hierarchical structure in Pakistan. Um, we're probably going to share a few personal stories, uh, probably going to be talking about the education systems, especially of countries here in uh, countries like Pakistan, where you have an education system that is uh, skewed towards primarily teaching Sunni Islam. Amazing. Um, so I share a similar kind of identity to you. So I'm Shia and I was raised in Pakistan, but then I've spent a lot of years in England as well. And so I think the whole being Shia in different countries thing is very insightful too, because I feel like that kind of falls into the safety category a little bit. Um, but what are your thoughts on that? Uh, being a Shia abroad... Um... I I feel like I'll be speaking from a place of privilege here uh, when I say that I haven't really faced a lot of um, othering, uh, differentiation, uh, discrimination of any sort for being a Shia Muslim. For example, uh, in the U.S. when I was studying in college there, um, or just uh, in general traveling. The one thing that I have noticed is there's a general lack of, um, I guess, information uh, because uh, I have been bunched into this, you know, category of Muslim uh, rather than uh, being able to identify as a Shia Muslim and for the other person to be able to, uh, you know, uh, know what I mean when I say I am a Shia Muslim. So there's been a lot of like uh, educational, I guess, gaps uh, that I have perceived amongst uh, people in general over time. Uh, I feel like it's easier to group people up into um, a religion without kind of getting into the uh, the diversity of the uh, sects and other um, groups therein. Uh, we see the same, I guess, across. Uh, uh, every religion because you know there is this tendency for people of one religion to kind of label another religion as christian or um, jewish or um, muslim rather than you know catholic or protestant or shia or sunni and so that's that's been pretty interesting uh, that's been um uh, i guess my uh, biggest kind of exposure to this whole um uh, ident uh, this being a part of my identity. Uh, in general, I feel like a lot of people don't attach their religion to their identity as deeply um, abroad as they would in Pakistan. Uh, what are your uh, thoughts about this? Yeah, um, 
I think that's really interesting what you mentioned about being able to identify as a particular sect, for example, Shia or Sunni or Catholic, as opposed to being grouped under one um, label, such as Muslim or Christian. Because I think as much as, like, yes, we are Muslim, I identify as Muslim, um, there are a lot of differences when it comes to your when it comes to your beliefs if you're part of different sects and as much as I appreciate being grouped together I think when you've been through a lot of like division and you feel like for example your the people from your religion haven't really supported you as much as they could have or if a certain sect deals with like persecution then it feels like well yes, I am Muslim, but I'm not really getting that extra kind of um, appreciation or help that I should be getting because I don't deal with the exact same issues that a, a, another Muslim would deal with. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's, that's, another, that's a very interesting point because that kind of leads into, um, you know, uh, just in general being able to raise awareness um, about any persecutions, any discrimination faced by a certain sect of, uh, a religion over another sect of religion. Um, I uh, personally feel uh, at times that, you know, when we're talking about persecution and oppression of Shia Muslims uh, throughout the world, um, even though that is a major issue, uh, I feel like I take up too much space yeah. because of that uh, generic label of Muslim. And it just feels like, um, you know, space should be made for arguments, conversations that are more important, even though um, at the back of our heads, I guess we do have this, this belief that um, uh, we that all issues should be treated equally that all, um, you know, uh, uh, I guess all uh, instances of persecution and all instances of discrimination should be called out should be corrected should be um, some 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 uh, something that is worked on and should not be something that is uh, ignored. So it does make uh, it uh, more difficult to recognize when to take space and when to be able to speak up and what to be able to speak up about. Um, so, you know, that's that's something that I've been uh, struggling with personally. When I think of uh, Shia advocacy or raising a voice for, for example, you know, uh, a group of Shias being uh, tortured, persecuted, um, or, you know, she is disappearing uh, throughout Pakistan, especially this is a prevalent thing. And so it's like, um, it, it becomes a question in the head whether this is the right time to be talking about the, these uh, situations or not. And, uh, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's been a personal struggle, but the way that I have made my peace with it, I guess, is that, you know, it is a part of our identity. Um, we are a group that still faces persecution in many um, Sunni majority countries specifically. Um, and I, I, I personally perceive that to be, you know, a difference in perspectives or something that has been taught generationally, but um, has never been discussed or brought to kind of a foreground um, or to the forefront yeah. of a conversation. Um, but yeah, it does become, it does become difficult. It definitely does. What do you think? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> correct me if you think I'm wrong, but do you think that Shias, um, now kind of just like put their head down and just kind of get on with it rather than trying to advocate for, um, certain rights? Because I feel like a lot of Shias feel like 
we we haven't made much progress when it comes to being um, respected. Like we've been persecuted from the start of Shiism, which dates back to I don't know at least maybe like twelve hundred years right. or something. Um, and I think that is no matter what country you're talking about, whether it's like the Middle East or um, South Asia. Um, obviously, it, I think it's different in like Western countries because I feel like there's such a diversity of not just religions but also mm. beliefs that and obviously there's a lot more security offered but i feel like that's because the laws are from more of an objective standpoint right. whereas in more religious countries i feel like there always is a sort of a default religion or a majority belief and that that affects how minorities are treated right. no 100 percent um i agree i mean uh uh, I think there's the the answer to your question is sort of bipartite. Um, once uh, one uh, has to do with kind of the the hierarch hierarchical way that countries um, where you have kind of this religious uh, government hybrid, for example, the Islamic Republic of Pakistan, um, where you have kind of this system and structure uh, to things where the classism and with uh, your religion are sort of linked um, uh, in a sense and mm. then you also have uh, levels of privilege essentially and levels of desensitization so if you are for example someone who is able to come to a podcast like this um, you have uh, you, you know you, you're definitely a part of this class of people who have access to internet and you have access yeah. to all these basic facilities and so, um, you know, there, there's this whole other class of, uh, and, and I believe this class to be the most persecuted, uh, are the people who are not in contact with um, uh, the rest of the world, you know, who, who don't have these resources, who don't have the information to kind of defend themselves. You know, you have, um, at, a, at a lower level, you have like forced, stuff like forced conversions, and you have stuff like miseducation, misinformation about Shias spread rampant. Um, you know, we've, we've all heard kind of the horror stories of how people grow up Shia um, and they're told that, uh, oh, someone heard that Shias drink uh, horse urine, for example, or other things that are mm -hmm. detrimental or um, uh, that, uh, you know, serve to only damage a cause um, rather than uh, yeah. advance it or, you know, have uh, show, or have or for us to have any real progress. In a in a better direction, uh, I guess, uh, like you touched upon. Um, so, uh, with that being said, you know, I mean, uh, I personally feel that I um, have been desensitized to the situation because I've grown up in mm -hmm. um, an environment where you know I had an uncle who was kidnapped for being Shia. Um, I had to go to a school where a majority of the uh, attendees were all straight Sunni males. And so you would have, you know, one or two people come up uh, mm -hmm. every uh, week or so and uh, say something discriminatory about Shias. Um, I remember there's, there were thought leaders uh, back in high school. And, uh, you know, because uh, it becomes this like... Uh, popularity contest sort of thing uh, to have, um, you know, a majority of people on your back and just being in that unfortunate situation where you have a majority of, uh, uh, a majority Sunni presence. Uh, it was a very unfortunate situation that I had was um, being in the, min the minority there. 
Um, and so there was no opportunity to speak up uh, because there were many more voices to shut down the conversation than there were to start the conversation. Plus, uh, personally, I feel like up until high school, our systems of morality and just uh, thinking about things in terms of uh, right and wrong are still developing. So yeah, uh, had uh, had to face my own personal brand of oppression, my own personal brand of persecution. I remember there was a time when um, we I had to leave the house with a guard because my dad had been threatened for being a Shia, and so that had like familial repercussions where everyone in the family was um, unsafe, did not know where the um, quote unquote attack was going to come from. All we had was this threat based mm-hmm. on the fact that one of us, uh, you know, the most prominent member of this family, aka my father, was a Shia. And so you have things like that that deter progress. You have situations that um, don't allow for uh, change or speaking up beyond kind of a reasonable amount. Um, but but you also have, um, you know, it's not all kind of gloom and dark clouds. We also have uh, prominent, uh, you know, Shia advocates and um, if you dig into the history of Pakistan specifically, you have a lot of uh, Shia presence in kind of every industry. I feel like um, has Shia presence, uh, you know, a lot of actors are Shia, a lot of um, your, uh, you know, engineers, doctors, uh, the bed, the, the um, backbones of society. You have Shiism everywhere. Um, but I feel like all of us collectively do become desensitized um, and all of us collectively do kind of sit down and uh, adopt this, uh, um, I want to say, role where we have to be okay with all of the, um, uh, I guess, the extra stuff that life threw at us in addition to the stuff that we already mm-hmm. have going on, which is, you know, uh, there's a plethora of stuff there, you know, getting a job, uh, studying, uh, getting, uh, being academically successful, being life successful, being all kinds of, you know, chasing a goal, chasing a dream, chasing a passion. Um, and that's why, you know, I personally don't put my uh, Shia foot or my male foot forward. Um, when I'm starting a conversation, uh, I like to start conversations with what I have done. Um, that has helped me um, cull perceptions that um, I, I guess uh, arise when you very strongly identify with um, uh, uh, with, with a side that uh, I want to say segments the conversation or that um, uh, sort of uh, it creates division uh, in any sense of that word. Uh, but that's that's been my way of getting by, getting through it. Um, but I honestly don't recommend the same to others listening. Um, I feel like as much advocacy as possible is uh, definitely needed, um, especially on the education front, especially on um, you know raising awareness of the different sects in Islam, how they intermingle um, globally and locally. Um, and just a bunch of these conversations need to happen for us to kind of have that space to be able to consider um, what safety could look like or what, um, you know, walking out of the house without fearing for your life, um, if you're wearing a few Shia rings, <laughs> could look like, uh, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, 
Well, I took away a bunch of stuff from what you said. Um, so I went to school and I never really hid my identity as such. Like whenever we had um, lessons on like Islamiyat and stuff and if the word Shia ever came up, I, I was always the only one who was Shia in my year and I didn't really know anybody who anyone else who was Shia. Um, and actually it was only when I moved to England and I guess when people moved abroad... I found out that a few of the people I know are Shia and that's because they probably felt more comfortable in saying that they're Shia and maybe doing a mm -hmm. post um, in Mohoram or something. So and I was like, oh, hey, like I've known this person for such a long time and I didn't know they were Shia. Um, and obviously that's very telling when it comes to people's safety because they just didn't feel comfortable kind of admitting that, even though I did always admit mm. it. Um, but I think that's a very isolating feeling um, for everybody because whenever an incident happens or you just want to talk about something because you're the minority, you don't have anybody to share that with and you are always going to feel like the odd one out, especially if at school when you're being taught about a certain version of Islam. It's never going to be our version. It hasn't been our version. Right. It's always been um, one set version of Islam. Which I think is it's good for us because like we we should we shouldn't be closed minded. We should be open to all different versions and then make our own decisions and everything. But then I think it shouldn't just be, for example, Shias who have to listen to other versions. Everybody should be taught different like versions. Right. I think that was one thing. Um the second thing was, um so my brother went to like an all boys school in uh, Pakistan quite a big one and obviously he's Shia and I think when he was quite young I don't know maybe he was in like year two or something like that um one of his classmates who was Shia and his father actually got shot on the way to school and obviously that was quite a that was quite a big deal and it was very sad and I think everybody in my brother's year knew about mm. it but um, from what I know, the school never addressed it. They never, they never brought up these issues. Mm. I feel like if it was, for example, another country, or I wish like the system was different, but I wish they would kind of talk to the students and be like, look, you all know what's happened. Let me just explain to you why and what we can do to kind of support mm. each other, especially if you know that there's still um, a Shia, at least one Shia in that year. What can you do to kind of make sure people are educated on this um i think that was that was the second mm. thing like we i wish that in school in schools and classes whether it's assemblies or what they would even acknowledge it but it was always it was always like gossip like you'd hear it from uh, people but it was never directly right. acknowledged all these incidents no that's true um and then I think that's what sort of leads to you being desensitized, the fact that it's never addressed. And if it's, it's kind of like a you problem, mm -hmm. um, that kind of an attitude. Yeah, no, that's, that's um, definitely how, um, how I guess I started perceiving it in my head is, uh, you know, it might not be as big a deal as I think it is. But then, you know, that's because of being desensitized over so many years um, and, and just not being... Uh, as exposed because I remember uh, the the incident that you just referred to, 
um i believe there's like yeah. you know bare minimum any um awareness about it you have the um i feel like the child's family members have a facebook page that's been maintained that marks the death anniversary um of the student the boy in question uh who um you know who was killed with along with his father um and from what i remember they were just trying to uh, i feel like they were outside their house and they were trying to go inside and that's about it um and that's just a situation that most of us mm-hmm. face every day like we're always leaving our houses and coming back so um it's 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 uh it, it's it's so much emotional labor to sit down and have to have this additional thought in your head of being always uh, you know looking over your shoulder um always uh yeah. having the uh you know hide or uh, kind of not be as open about your identity as you'd like um because that's that's the two levels that i've seen right there's people who can't loudly proclaim their shia um even though they would very much like to and then there's people who have to hide the identity at the workplace for example or kind of you know in in a in an application setting you know, like you're applying to school or you're applying to a job or any any of those other opportunities because you never know when the other what the other what mentality mindset the other person is in how accepting they are of religious differences and there's all these question marks in the head and there's you know there's so much work being done um and i want to bring it back to a workplace setting because i'm familiar with those the most uh, where you have all these um kind of uh diversity questions i want to say um inclusivity questions where they ask you for um a, in in global countries that ask you if you're you know asian or if you're african american or if you have like uh, latino latinx uh, heritage and stuff like that and then um uh, with regards to kind of south asian work in general i feel like there's been a there's a huge gap in a global understanding and b um kind of initiatives being taken to raise awareness that you can't bunch all of south asians <laughs> into one uh, one of one yeah. bracket and there's there's differences both culturally and religiously um so uh, with uh, uh, you know with institutions in general it, it is a huge problem institutions would like to maintain uh, i guess one narrative because uh, a narrative that suits the majority um is quote and quote good enough for the institution um that's i feel like where work lacks the most um you know it, it's not too hard to distribute an informational or uh, kind of put out some kind of material to raise awareness um of religious differences um and then also like institutionalize that to schools and workplaces so that um you know you have these conversations uh and they're they're deemed necessary um you know as necessary as uh kind of your education about race and gender and uh, um so many other uh, conversations that we're having globally um uh, i i believe that uh you know uh, there could be uh, uh gateways to this you brought up islamiyat education in uh, schools that's a pretty good point because islamiyat education in schools as far as i know here in pakistan um is very skewed towards one branch of islam um and you know most i've found is a couple of chapters talking about uh, the differences uh, in a very broad sense between shiism and sunnism um and those two are touched upon uh, uh i 
I feel um, with uh, a sort of a biased lens because uh, you uh, you know you have this book that is predominantly um, teaching um, Sunni Islam practices. So if it does have a chapter about Shia Islam, um, I think it's a safe assumption that it's not going to be the most reflective Shia um, piece of work, I guess, uh, that you can have access to um, while you're learning, while you're developing this perspective of the world. And that's where a lot of that discrimination kind of starts to pour in because it's like this hush-hush chapter. I remember the only two uh, things that we have hushed about in high school are A, the sexual reproduction chapter in biology, and B, um, you know, the Shia yeah. parts of the Islamiyad book. And so um, that is, it's kind of ridiculous sure. to me that we still have to hide behind um, this taboo, even though there's nothing that uh, uh, we can't have conversations about because I have, you know, so many Sunni friends. Um, and I have so many Shia friends and, you know, when we get together, we sit down, we're all just human beings and we're just, uh, you know, either having a good time or we're working or we're uh, doing our things. Um, and this never comes into play there. However, uh, what I find sometimes is due to lack of information, my friends won't even broach the topic, which I think is, uh, you know, it's like, it's a major um, conversation stopper. <laughs> Because uh, especially in uh, uh, times like... That's when it becomes Yeah, exactly. So it's like, you know, you're talking about (laughs) Muharram and then all of a sudden there'll be like this hush-hush kind of uh, uh, reaction from the crowd. And then you become a person of authority (laughs) for Muharram. Um, I've had that happen where people just look at me and then then I have to do all that labor of trying to explain what a majlis is and trying to explain um, the matam, the concept of matam, uh, trying to uh, explain all of these things in a way that doesn't, uh, you know, um, uh, denote uh, problematic concepts like self-harm or, uh, you know, uh, give the perception that um, Shias uh, don't value a certain individual in Islam um, and, and these are points of contention uh, which have come up for me over the past, uh, I guess, however many years I've been alive. Um, and once we have yeah. that conversation, I found that there's a bunch of misperceptions. Usually there's a bunch of um, conversations that have never been had that lead to that point, that lead to that, um, uh, I, I want to say, desensitization to uh, us, I guess, or in in a sense, trying to bunch us up amongst uh, kind of the whole uh, Muslim population in Pakistan, um, because uh, you know, in in not treating us like a minority, all Pakistan especially has done, or what I, I guess the globe uh, uh, overall does is it stifles conversation. Um, it just stops, uh, uh, stop, everyone in the world collectively stops receiving information that they could find useful if they were ever in a set, uh, in a setting or sitting with uh, Shias um, and talking about uh, the events of Karbala or Muharram in general or other practices that we have that kind of distinguish um, our branch of Islam from the other branches. Um, so, yeah. Definitely. No, that that's all very um, insightful, and I think you you mentioned Pakistan and how minorities are supposed to have certain rights. That's what the white strip and the flag is supposed to represent. And I feel like a lot of 
uh, minorities, including Shias, feel like that their rights aren't done justice mm -hmm. to them. And I think, obviously, I don't want to generalize completely. Like I know there are there are people that are open-minded in terms of listening to the Shia side of, of things and also offering protection like police. Um, I remember in Pakistan, we have an alam on our house, which is basically a flag mm -hmm. that kind of it's like you're you're letting people know you're shia because it's like um you're kind of advocating for it so my dad is obviously very um like passionate about it and as am i but i think we had police coming to our house saying like look could you take mm -hmm. it down and um could you also take different routes to school every day because you know you you could be targeted right. and um i think that that's them kind of offering their protection and their advice which we appreciate um even if they're not shia like the police but i think the the real question is like why should we have to do exactly. that you know there's bigger things that need to be tackled and um it's just a case of then desensitizing yourself and kind of putting your faith more into god and being like well, look, if, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Right. I, I want to die believing what I believe. And that's why I feel like we're so desensitized when it comes to real world problems. Right. No, 100%. And I think when I moved to like a Western country and I, and I see so many people of different identities getting their issues like tackled and resolved and people are like helping each other. And like, I wish, I wish we could help each other as well because they're not just some Tr this isn't like a trivial issue it's about like life death situations oh, yeah. and I think I kind of I kind of envied how like issues here are given so much importance um where, even when it comes to for example LGBT I'm not trivializing that at all I'm just saying I wish that religion and our religion was also kind of put on a similar um pedestal and so so we could get that respect and also make progress yeah, no, I agree 100%. I mean, um, you, you know, there, there's so many conversations that need to be happening at the same time. Um, I feel like uh, we collectively as people are also sort of exhausted by um, kind of the constant exposure to, uh, I, I guess, social work stuff on social media. And then you have, um, you know, other channels that you learn of and bodies that you want to support. And then ultimately, uh, you, you have your own life um, and you want to be able to succeed at life, uh, whatever that success means to you. And so, um, you know, in, uh, in picking and choosing the causes that matter to us um, and curating our own personal experiences, I feel like a lot of these conversations kind of slip through the cracks. Because everyone, uh, I feel like, cherishes a sense of um, normality, uh, a sense of uh, utopia where these conversations don't need to happen. Um, however, it is uh, kind of on um, everyone, I guess, uh, people listening and uh, us and anyone else who is interested in exploring the gap um, and in in uh, in educating the masses to continue uh, putting their best foot forward, to continue having these conversations, to continue um, supporting uh, communities that are oppressed, communities that are facing persecution, communities that um, you know don't have a voice per se, communities that um, 
uh, you know can't uh, really help themselves uh, because of how long um, they've been persecuted because of how desensitized I guess the rest of the world becomes uh, to um, information and because of uh, this uh, uh, I guess I, 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 I live on a bit of like uh, I, I live a bit on kind of the realistic side of things we are collectively sort of moving towards um, uh, taking care of ourselves more um, empathy is becoming a harder uh, topic a to talk about and b um, to actually find uh, amongst your fellow uh, human beings uh, because empathy um, i feel has sort of evolved over time to include and incorporate your closest friends and your innermost circles uh, minus how um, there used to be this uh, more global approach to um, being there for others. We do see a lot of empathy. That's not to say that empathy is dead because like, for example, there's um, currently uh, a flood crisis in Pakistan and you have people all over Pakistan, you know, regardless of sex, regardless of culture, regardless of religion, um, coming in with donations, coming in with, um, you know, anything that they can do to help uh, those that are stricken by the flood. Um, uh, uh, this is as much kind of a call to action um, in those terms as it is uh, kind of a, um, a, an informational piece um, in other uh, senses as well. Uh, there's um, a healthy community of, uh, you know, Sh uh, Shia Muslims who uh, don't get to live their dreams, um, who don't get to achieve as much as uh, those more privileged in society, especially in Pakistan get to achieve um there are uh, severe inequalities at workplaces um especially those workplaces that are just starting out because um for someone who is just starting uh, you know a business or working um in a in a startup or something uh, that is uh, new to the scene it's very hard to have your um, have a responsible kind of hr system for um, situations like uh, Shia Sunni um, talks, conversations at the workplace, so on and so forth. Um, and then you have uh, other gaps like the education gap that we just discussed. Um, a lot of that stuff feeds into um, your general uh, kind of, uh, a general lack of information and then a hesitance uh, to actually talk about the conversation or talk about the topic uh, because of how little information there is um, available uh, to people um, to kind of broach the topic in the sensitive um, manner that it needs to be broached in. Um, I, I, I personally think that, uh, you know, you can't discount the fact that about three to four years ago, there were about 600 to 700,000 people gathered in Karachi, Pakistan, shouting, uh, you know, at the top of their voices chanting uh, that Shias are non-Muslims. Uh, the term for non-Muslims yeah. is kafir. Um, so Shia kafir was it was uh, it was a proper campaign um, in the south of Pakistan uh, about three years ago, and it did make um, a lot of because uh, I was I wasn't here three years ago, but it made a lot of my family members who are here in Pakistan. Um, you know, afraid for their lives. Um, I remember my dad started working from home and then my uh, brothers had to take uh, days off from school 
just uh, let the situation sort of simmer down before it was safe enough for um, them to leave the house again. And if you uh, take that same um, uh, situation or you take, take the same um, impact and you uh, apply it to uh, you know, people who don't have houses to go back to and people who don't have uh, kind of the resources to be able to stay at home and avoid the workplace, uh, that becomes a recipe for disaster. It just becomes um, very um, skewed um, in terms of opportunity, in terms of um, visibility, in terms of uh, the conversations that you're having at a higher and lower level um, in um, universal uh, uh, settings where uh, you, you want to have a voice, like you want to contribute a voice um, but you, you're, you're so afraid to contribute a voice that you choose silence. Um, I think a lot of those kinds of situations uh, uh, lead to this, like, I guess, snowballing domino effect where you uh, end up with uh, situations of uh, mass genocide, um, which has happened before. Um, and you end up with situations of... Uh, feeling like you're unsafe in your own country, um, which is how I felt for a long time. Um, and I feel like a lot of other Shias uh, would agree uh, maybe with this sentiment, especially if you're in Pakistan. Um, it's, it's, not, it's not a life to live. Uh, it's one that we've been given. Um, and if there could be some conversations to change that, some advocacy on the side, um, I wouldn't say that we want to take space that isn't ours. Um, I wouldn't say that that would be the way forward. Uh, I think taking space matters, though. I think uh, having a presence matters. Um, I think having conversations like these matter, um, where you're generally just talking about the situation of Shias, you know, throughout the world, in Pakistan, uh, a contrast uh, of, of kind of the safety measures available to you, how much that even matters to you um, in other countries and, uh, uh, you know, versus Pakistan or other Islamic countries. Um, and maybe even having kind of uh, sharing out the results of those conversations, I think would be a great step in the right direction. Mm. No, thank you so much. I think you articulated everything really well um, in terms of sort of problems and solutions and how everyone can kind of come together to help each other out. Um, yes, and thank you for sharing something so like personal to you as well. Um, but other than that, that's the end of the podcast. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, make sure to follow the Instagram page at talkie.me for updates on new releases. And, yeah, recommend it to your friends and family, and uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks. <laughs>